in here? Is it just me? Is it lovely? Okay, should I turn the air con a bit, bit colder? No? You think it's perfect, do you? Right, yeah. You might want it a bit colder because it's a long walk. Like, if you've got to get out to your car afterwards, it might be a bit of a distance to get to. Does he? Okay. We'll go with, we'll go with Owen then, will we? Just a quick question. Who's got a new nickname? Anyone get given a new nickname this week? No? Anyone, anyone develop a new nickname this week? No? Nobody? Nobody at all. Seven days, wow, bang, straight out your heads. What is the point? What are you even here for? So nobody, no, nobody has gone from being uh, the average Joe to being a son of encouragement? No? Judy's saying no, so we'll chat later, Owen. Uh, great confession, that was. Nobody's changed. Well, we've been talking um, last week about encouragement. I just want to say again, because we've got a, a few new faces popping in, uh, welcome to our, our, uh, our little gathering here today. Um, since the start of the year, when the clock sort of ticked over, I, I, I've just had a sense this year that 2019 is going to be a good year. And I, I, I generally don't voice what I feel at the start of a year. I, I, I'm not one of these people that, you know, if the wind blows in my left ear, that that must have been the Lord telling me that my left ears, you know, that the, the left, you know. I don't read into everything. But there are just some times in life where you just know that there's a season you're walking into. And I feel like uh, we're walking into a really good season. I, I'm expecting 2019 to be a really, really good year. Uh, and so I've been... Yes, there we go. Excellent. A couple of hand claps there. It was like the Queen one, though. You were still doing these like little palm ones. That's okay. Hey, we're getting better. We're getting better every week. There's a little more... Uh, the claps are going a bit further up the fingers and things like that. And, um, Judy's telling us more about Owen. Um, little things every week. We're growing. Um, 50 years this year. Is it today? Then come and tell me later, Rowan. It's 50 years today, right? Well, we're <laughs> 50 years, that's pretty amazing, actually, in today's, today's world. So uh, make sure you let us know when you have your anniversary. I'll put your car parking space outside for that Sunday and things like that. Um, but I have a, a real sense that this is going to be a great year. I, I just have this sense that God is going to give us opportunities, that God is going to uh, open some doors for us. And I believe that for me and my family. I believe it's personal. But I also believe for us as a faith community that uh, I could almost hear at the start of the year, I just felt like God was saying, you know, you've done well with the little I've given you. You've done well. And uh, now I'm going to give you more. I'm going to open up some doors of opportunity and some responsibility and some things for you as a, as a community. Whether we take those opportunities is another thing. God can, can open a door for you, but you still choose to walk through it. He doesn't grab you by the hair and drag you through. Uh, he allows you to make the choice. Whether you want to walk into it or whether you don't. Anyone watch the cricket yesterday? Anyone see the cricket last night? And uh, anyone, anyone, did you notice how many dropped balls the Aussies, how many, how many opportunities they had to change the course of the game? They couldn't catch the ball. They got hands like feet. They were terrible. And uh, every time the ball would come, they'd stand there and it would look like a sitter. And I'm thinking, this, this is one of those moments in a sporting game where the whole game can turn, the whole thing can shift on this moment and bang, straight through the fingers. And they kept dropping the ball. And while I was watching that, I was thinking, gee, God, I hope that's not my year. I hope that's not what I do this year. I know you're going to give me opportunity. I know there's going to be things that are going to come my way. 
Uh, and, and, but God, I hope that when they come, I hope my hands are open and I hope they're together and I hope I'm ready to grab a hold of the opportunities that you bring my way in 2019. I don't want to drop them. I don't want to miss those moments. At the end of the day, Australia still won. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, Jesus still wins. Amen? He still wins. But along the way, we get opportunities to play our role in, in that bigger picture and that bigger story. And I want to make sure that I grab with both hands those opportunities that sort of come my way. So I've been preaching the last few weeks um, about opportunity and about uh, laying a hold of those things and then uh, about encouragement because I feel like we need to be encouraged. I just have this sense this year that God's saying, yeah, I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. I want, I want the, to, to lift a few uh, heavy loads off some people's shoulders at the moment for whatever reason. Don't worry. Once I get involved in the process, I'll make sure I slam them back on you. But he wants to lift them off you because his burden's easy, his yoke's light and so on. And uh, so last week we were talking about encouragement. We were uh, talking about um, uh, being encouragers ourselves and the power of encouragement. When we encourage somebody, we actually put courage in people. And there are a lot of people around us and a lot of times us in our own world. We need courage put in us. We face mountains and we face difficulties and we face things. And uh, it's interesting to me that, that, that Adam was standing in a garden with God and God said to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. But God was there. So Adam wasn't alone, but God said, it's not good for you to be alone. So I don't mean this to be blasphemous or anything, but it's almost like God was saying, me alone is not going to be enough. You need other people as well in your world to do this journey. You need other people to walk alongside of you because I actually experience God through you. And, and you experience God through me. When I, when I give you, uh, extend forgiveness because you've done something really, really nasty and horrible and I won't tell you what you did. When she does something really nasty and I, and I give you grace and I extend grace to you and you experience grace. That's, that, that's how we experience the invisible grace of God. When we encounter one another, when I, I, I am used to, uh, to bring encouragement to you, it's like the mouth of God himself bringing encouragement to you. And so we ex- actually experience God through each other. We need each other. That's why it's so heartbreaking when people just pull themselves away from fellowship. And I'm not saying that to make people come to church here. I don't care where you go or what the context looks like, but don't pull away from other believers because it will be the beginning of the end. That's been my experience with the people I've seen and encountered in my life is that we need one another. So last week we talked a bit about encouragement and it got me thinking about a story in the Bible where I think a person desperately, desperately needed encouragement. And I wondered what would have happened in that person's heart when that encouragement came. And the story is found in Matthew chapter 11. And so we got this guy called John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is actually in prison at the time. And the Bible says that when he heard the works of Jesus, that he sent some of his disciples to go to Jesus and say, are you the Messiah, the one that was coming, or should we be waiting for someone else? It's interesting that when he heard what Jesus was doing, something clicked inside of him and it's almost like, hang on a second, I thought I knew what Jesus would look like and now I'm hearing what he's doing. I don't know that that's the picture I had. Anyone ever have those moments in life where where you you might hear the way that God's dealing with somebody else? But it's not the way he dealt with me. So I'm going, well, that can't be God. Well, hang on a second, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it's, it's just the, the way I view God at the moment with my life experience. or Maybe I don't have the full picture. Maybe I'm not actually divine and I don't see everything all the time. And so John hears this stuff that Jesus is doing and he sends his disciples. And the disciples go to Jesus and Jesus goes, well, here's the thing. Go and tell John that the dead are being raised, the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, and the poor are getting the good news of Jesus preached to them. 
And then Jesus turns to the crowds that are with him. And he makes this amazing statement. He says, let me, t- let me ask you a question. What did you go out in the desert to see? Speaking about John the Baptist. Because they all went out to him. He said, did you go out to see a dude in fine clothes? He said, of course you didn't. You, you go to the, the mall, you know, the upmarket shopping centres. You go to the, if you want to see that fancy dressed people. He said, did you, did you go out there, you know, what did you go out there to see? He goes, did you go out to see a prophet? And he goes, yep, this guy was speaking the oracles of God. But then he makes this statement. And he goes, of all those people born of woman, there's been nobody greater than John the Baptist. Wow. Imagine if Jesus walked in this room right now and he walked up to you and he said, you know what, of all the six billion people on planet Earth born of woman, which is every one of us, none are like you. What an encouragement. How good would you feel? Now I want you to imagine that you're in prison and you're chained and you're locked up. So you're not just having an average day, you're having a bad day. And Jesus himself goes out and talks you up to that degree. I mean, that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Can you imagine the disciples of John running back to the prison where Jesus is? Uh, sorry, where John the Baptist is. They run back and they go in and John's excited to see them. He goes, well, tell me, what did he say? And they go, look, yes, no, it's him. He said it's him. He's doing this. It's, it's him. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. But guess what? You're not going to believe this. What, what? Sit down. I've got something amazing to tell you. You're not going to believe what he said about you. What, what? Of everyone ever born of a woman, you're the best. Jesus said you're the best. Can you imagine what that would have done for him sitting in a prison cell to hear that? I wonder whether he wondered, well, here I am in prison. Where are you, Jesus? Why aren't you here? Do you not care about me as I go through this circumstance? Do you not? But Jesus is out there doing his stuff. I don't know what was going through his head, but I do know this. If one of you were to come up to me and say, I had a chat with Jesus yesterday, and he told me, you're the best there's ever been, I'd feel pretty good. I wouldn't care how low I'd sunk. I'd float to the surface really, really quickly. Amazing. But guess what? John never heard it. John the Baptist never heard it. In Matthew chapter 11, they come and they ask Jesus and they say, uh, John the Baptist wants to know, are you the one and so on? And it says in verse 6 of Matthew 11, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Watch this, verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. It just, I read it the other day and I thought, Jesus, Why? Did you wait till they departed? In other words, John never got to hear this. John never got to hear Jesus bragging about him to everybody else. So what I want to say to you today is I want to give you the message that John the Baptist never heard. And that is this, that of all those born of woman, you're the greatest. You're the greatest. You're the best. God's in love with you. God thinks you're wonderful. God really likes you. If God was picking a football team in the park, you'd be the first person he'd pick because he wants you on his side. 
because he's for you, he's not against you. Isn't that amazing? And it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter whether you're on the top of the mountain or the bottom of the valley. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you are ticking every box, you are acing it, getting an A plus in the holiness test. Or whether you're maybe flunking down to a B or a D minus or whatever. It doesn't matter whether you like yourself or you don't like yourself. It doesn't matter whether you think you've got something to offer or you've got nothing to offer. It doesn't matter any of that because God, in his intelligence and wisdom, looks down upon you and made an informed decision, knowing everything about you. And his decision was this, I like you. I like you. Actually, I love you. I'm crazy about you. I really, really like you. John the Baptist never got to hear this. I thought, I wonder... If I was John, that tiny message in that prison cell would have changed everything for me. Because there's something about knowing you're loved. There's something about knowing that you're loved that brings security. One of the things I like about my uh, relationship with my wife here with Jackie is that she works at a corporate hotel. And I'm not going to throw names out here because I might get some people sacked. The amount of guys that accost this woman at the front desk and offer, what time are you finishing, love? I'll have a bottle of wine ready for It's amazing. She's always coming home telling me this person, um, you know, approached me and this, and this. But you know what? Here's the thing. At no point do I feel insecure about that. My first thing is, well, I get it. She's hot. <laughs> I accosted her one day too, but I got the gold, you know? So, of course, it makes sense that other guys are going to. But here's the thing, I'm so secure in the fact that she loves me that at no point do I ever think, she can even say to me, that guy's hot. I can tell you now that that, that Brad Fittler, Freddie Fittler, I'll drop one name. If Freddie Fittler walked in here, she would stay married to me, but only out of obedience to Jesus. But I'm secure in that because I know that she would stay because I know that she loves me and in that love gives me an incredible sense of security Because I'm not guessing all the time. I'm not wondering. I know how much she loves me. And that love, knowing that love, embracing that love is a very transformative thing. It allows me to change, not because I have to change, but because I want to change. Because when somebody loves you, you want to do things for them. You want to get to know them. You want to grow closer to them. You want to chip off the things that you know aren't pleasing. to. You want to do these things. Not because you have to, because you want to. I've shared the story a few times when we first started dating and uh, we were in Youth with a Mission in Brisbane. And I remember uh, I had a caravan on the Youth with a Mission centre and uh, me and Jackie were going to somebody else's wedding or something. We just started dating. And I'd gone off base for something. I came home and I walked in my caravan door and, and as soon as I walked in, I turned, there's my bed. And on the bed was a, a blue kind of flowery shirt, collared, Blue flowery collared shirt and a beautiful pair of black slacks. Now, do I look like a blue flowery collared shirt and slacks kind of guy? Back then, I had a mullet, a very good mullet, by the way. Very well trained. I walked around with no shoes. I never wore shirts. I just, I wasn't, I probably was not a fashion icon back then. Not like this. You look at this now, it's, you know. Take Daniel out of the picture and I look cool. But... She put this thing on my bed. But but here's the thing. I remember seeing it, and I don't know what she thought. I don't know whether you expected me to get the message, but I'm not. a pretty cluey guy. I saw that and thought, I wonder if she's trying to tell me something. (laughs) So I rip off, you know, had a shower and took off my uh, old baggy clothes, and I put this on and uh, walked past the mirror, looked at myself and went, 
You look good. Kept on walking, picked up my wife. We went out uh, to the wedding and so on. But here's the thing. I wasn't changing those clothes. I didn't put that on to try to get her to love me. If I felt like I had to do that to get her to love me, that would have put a wedge between us. But because I knew she already loved me, that was liberating and free. Because I already had her love, I was prepared to do what I needed to do to change. Because I already had it. I wasn't doing it to get her love. I wasn't doing it to get her to like me. I was doing it because she liked me. I wasn't doing it to get love. I was doing it because she loved me. So I don't read my Bible to get God to love me. Maybe some people here, maybe you do. Maybe you feel like, it's, oh, I've got to read this to get him to love me. Yeah, maybe I pray because I'm trying to get him to love me. I come to church because I'm trying to get him to love me. And I'm doing these things to try to get him to love me. And I'm afraid if I don't do them, maybe he won't love me. And we begin operating like that. And then what happens is a 20-minute read of the Bible all of a sudden doesn't feel like enough. I feel like now I've got a, well, 20 minutes ain't enough. Maybe I should do 30 a day. Then 30 a day doesn't satisfy that need. So maybe I've got to do 40 a day. And then 40 a day is not satisfying me anymore. So now it's an hour. Now it's two. When I pray, I kneel down and maybe I pray for 10 minutes. And then I feel this guilty conscience. That's not enough if you really love him. So now it's 20 a day, then it goes up to 50 a day, then maybe it goes to two hours a day. And maybe coming to church uh, uh, one, one, you know, Sundays is just turning up at a service is not enough. And now I feel like, well, okay, well, I better be at every prayer meeting then because that'll show him I love him. Now I need to be at every single worship night because that'll show him that I love him. And where does it end? Where does it stop? It never stops because we're trying to get something. We're trying to, to get something out of God that we actually already have. We've already got his attention. We've already got his love. And I think this is one of the reasons why people are so uh, aghast at Christianity. This is one of the reasons why people don't like the faith that we talk about. Because it, it looks like, I mean, I've been at those meetings. Ever been to those services and we play a bit of music? Somebody, they come forward, tears, give my life to Jesus. And, te- and I remember being at one of these things years ago. Before I got saved, my cousin dragged me to a concert at Austinville. <laughs> And this guy gave an altar call, and I'm sitting there, and my cousin, I lived with him and his mum and dad, and he, came, he wanted to come up and give his life to Jesus. Well, I had no interest in that whatsoever. But he grabbed my hand and said, if I'm going, you're going. He drags me up in front of hundreds of people, up this middle of an aisle, and I'm kind of standing there, well, what do you do now? They say, everyone close your eyes and pray this prayer. And so we, okay, I'm just... And then we get taken out the back, and this guy comes up to us, and he goes, uh, two guys, and they're there, and their job is to sort of help us get going in this faith journey of God. And the first thing they did was, right, now now that you've, you've prayed this prayer, here's what you need to do. You need to this, and you need to that, and you need to this, and you need to that. Now you've got to start doing that, and stop doing that, and you've got to this. And I just got this whole list of rules. And it just reinforced again to me, no way. Why would I want anything like that? I'm not a circus monkey. I don't want to perform for anybody, you know. And then at the end of that, this young guy starts praying. This Two guys together, one goes, and the other one prays. And at the end of the prayer, the first person goes, oh, now that's powerful pray. That's how you pray. Man. And I'm thinking, but I wouldn't pray like that. I don't talk to my friends like that. If God's a friend, I don't talk like that. It's not me, you know? And straight away, I'm thinking, wow, this whole thing is a show. God is actually not really impressed with me. He doesn't really like me. And I've got to somehow get his attention by performing really, really good and doing something great. When we moved to Bundaberg, me and Jackie, just after we got married... Uh, we we uh, <coughs> drove up to Bundaberg and settled down up there. We were there for about two years, two and a half years. 
And I remember going down to the touch football grounds the first uh, Tuesday night, whatever the night was when I was there, because I'm, I love playing touch and I've always been quite good at it. And I remember going down to the touch footy grounds and wanting to find a team to play with. I walked up, I rocked up, I walked around all night. Oh, um, I'm, I'm new in town, I'd like to play, would you, anyone? And everybody said, nah, got no room, nah, got no room, nah, got no room, nah, got no Nobody wanted me. It was a terrible feeling. I'm thinking, if only you knew, I'm brilliant. I'm brilliant. You should be asking me. Bring your checks next week, boys, and I might talk to you. So anyway, at the end of the night, this one team said, yeah, we're just, we're short, come and have a run with us. So I did. I played with them, and I played pretty good. Next week, I wasn't even out of my car, and I had seven people go, oh, come play with us, we want you to play with us. And it felt great to want to be wanted like that, but at the same time, it felt so shallow. Because I thought, you don't really like me, you don't really want me, you just want my talent. You just want what I can do. You just want the benefit that I can maybe bring to you. But you didn't want me. Last week, you didn't want me. And I think sometimes we feel like that with God, that, that if we perform really, really well, God really is excited about us and he wants us and he loves us. And he can use, but if we're not performing really, really well, we kind of feel like, well, maybe God doesn't love me as much today as what he did yesterday. I want to tell you the message that John the Baptist never got. Of all those born of women, there's none greater than you. Or you. Or you. Or you. There's none greater. Jesus goes on after saying this and talking up John the Baptist, and maybe this is why John never heard about it. Because <laughs> the next part of the, the, the verse goes like this. Of those born of women, there's none greater than John. But if you're the least in the kingdom, you're better than him. <laughs> maybe Jesus was afraid that his disciples would take the second, but go, hey, you're great, but hang on a second, you're actually the least at the bottom of the pecking Everyone else is greater. But Jesus didn't, for whatever reason, say that John was the greatest in the presence of John. But I'm glad we got the second part because who feels like they're the least in the kingdom? Well, if he feels that radically in love with John and feels like John's that great, what's that say about you? What's that say about you? See, I, I was thinking the other day, now if I was John and I had have heard that, if these disciples had have got that, if they had have stayed for another five minutes, just heard what Jesus was saying and then come back and then reported to me in prison. Here's the message I would have heard. I would have heard this. God thinks more highly of me than I think he does. And I think that's true. God thinks more highly of you than you think he does. God thinks more highly of you than you think he does. Um, I've got a couple of verses here that they're kind of weird. You ever read things in the Bible and you think, gee, that's kind of strange? You know, on the surface it makes sense, but when you think it, go a little deeper, it's kind of a bit weird, sometimes even maybe a touch creepy. Psalm 147, verse 4 and 5, it says, He counts the number of the stars and he calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. God, this awesome, immeasurably huge creator, knows the trillions and trillions of stars up there and the psalmist says he calls them by name. Yet this immeasurably big and powerful God is also that incredibly intimate that he numbers and knows the hairs on your head. You know, the average human head has 10,000 hairs on it. You know that? The average human head has 10,000 hairs, the average human head. Some of you are below average. <laughs> Some of us are above average, but 
He knows all the hairs on your head, Luke 12, 7. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't fear, therefore, you're of more value than many sparrows. When Jesus is talking about don't worry about the God, God's got it under control. His eye is on you. He's thinking of you. He's aware of you. He knows your address. He knows your telephone number. He knows your DNA. He knows your fingerprint. He knows the the number of blood cells running around your body. He's very intimately acquainted with who you are. Psalm 139 verse 1 to 4 says, Lord, you have searched me and know me. He searched you and known you. You know, we get impressed at Christmas, don't we? Because, you know, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake, the Santa Claus thing. (laughs) Sleeping and awake, that's nothing. Seriously. Santa and God, come on. It's actually quite creepy that Santa sees you when you're sleeping. But You search me and you know me. You know my sitting down. You know my rising up. You understand my thoughts. God knows your thoughts. You comprehend my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's no ways of you that God's not aware of, that he's not acquainted with. By the way, that means your bad ways too. It's not just all the good stuff. He knows the bad stuff about you intimately. Matter of fact, he knows the bad stuff better than you know it. It's true. He knows your ins and outs, your comings, your goings. For there is not a word on my tongue, the good words and the bad words. The words you say in public and the words you say in private. He knows all of that stuff about you. There's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. It's getting kind of weird, isn't it? Don't you reckon? When uh, people sort of get locked up for that kind of stuff, knowing that much about other people, it's like, ooh. But God is that intimately acquainted with you. He knows all that stuff about you. He knows you that intimately. He knows everything about you, and yet he still loves you. You know, I often refer to, I think sometimes church can be like a masquerade party at times. Just pick up your mask on the way in, let's put it on. Because there are some things, if you knew it, oh, you might not want me in your church. If you knew it, you might not let me be your pastor. If you knew it, I might not let you make the morning teas. Oh, yes, I would. But you think I wouldn't. If you guys knew this, you wouldn't let me, you wouldn't. But God knows all that stuff. And yet he still loves us, you know. He loves us not just in the good, but he loves us in the bad. We need to get secure in the fact that he loves us apart from performance. My position in the eyes of God has nothing to do with my performance. I didn't make myself righteous by cleaning myself up. I didn't make myself holy by not doing unholy things. The Bible says that God made me holy. The Bible says that God placed righteousness upon me. It's, it's all a working of a God who knows everything, who is intelligent and informed. God is intelligent and informed and he makes the decision, I like you. I like you. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's not saying that nothing's going to come against you. Who knows that things come against you all the time? Every day of your life, you've got stuff coming against you. He's not saying if God's for you, then nothing comes against you. What he's saying is this. If somebody with the power and the awesomeness and the intelligence and the informed decision-making capacity of God is for you, who else can match that and come against you with the same sort of knowledge, the same wisdom, the same intelligence? Who, who else? What, what out there can come against you in the same way? Nothing. Nothing can. It's like this. If I could, could put it in my own words, I'd write this. I'd say, Jackie thinks Alan is hot. So who cares what the rest of you think? You understand? It wouldn't matter. She thinks I'm hot. So it really doesn't matter whether anybody else thinks I'm not hot or half hot 
or unhot or two percent hot. Hey, if she thinks I'm hot, who can come against my hotness? No one can. Who cares what the rest of you think? And that's kind of what Paul's saying. If God's for you, then then who can be against you really? I mean, they can push, they can bump, but God is so for you that whatever's coming against you is because God is for you. God is not against you. Verse 38 and 39 of Romans chapter 8. Can you whack that up on the board for us there, Luke? Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. That's a lot of things, by the way. Okay, that's a lot of things. Nor height, nor depth. He continues on with his things. Nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. Your performance won't separate you from God. Your shortcomings don't separate you from his love. Your mistakes don't separate you from his love. Your inabilities don't separate you from his love. This year, 2019, you're going to make some good choices and you're going to make some dumb ones. Why? Because you're human. You're going to do some things that you're going to pat yourself on the back with and say, wow, that wasn't that awesome. You're going to do some things that you're going to want to kick yourself up the backside and say, I cannot believe I was that stupid. Maybe I can't believe I was that stupid again. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to nail some things and you're going to fall short in other areas. It's going to happen. You know, We do the best we can. We strive because we want to make it work most of the time. But we're all going to miss the mark at some point. It's going to happen. But here's the thing. I want the first thing that you hear uh, from us here this year to be the thing that John the Baptist never got to hear, and that is this, that apart from your performance, apart from whether you're sitting in a prison cell right now with your hands and feet shackled or whether you're on the top of a mountain, apart from anything outside, because God, who makes informed and intelligent decisions, has made the decision that he loves you. End of it. Full story. That's it. God loves you. Jesus, in John 17, actually prayed. He prayed for you. Did you know that? John, go and read it. John 17. Jesus actually prays for you. He actually prayed for me. He prayed for you. And here's what he prayed. He said, Father, I pray this. I pray that they would know that you love them with the same love that you love me. I've never once read the Bible and thought God didn't love Jesus. Anyone ever read the Bible and gone, the Father didn't love Jesus? Anyone ever? Well, Jesus prayed and said, I know that you're going to think like that. But I'm praying that you would understand that the same way the Father loved me, it's the same way that he loves you. Don't waver in your assessment of God's love for you. Lots of stuff's going to come this year and you're going to have lots of opportunities to doubt that God cares for you. You're going to have lots of opportunities to begin to think that God's not that interested in you. It's going to happen. We're human. If it doesn't happen to you, that's completely fine. You're better than me. I'll tell you, it's going to happen to me. I know it's going to happen to me. I know things will come against me. But I need to be secure in the fact that God loves me. Be secure in my Father's love. The biggest impact on my life this year, it's not going to be what I'm saying to you right now. It's not going to be hearing about the love of God. It's about your ability to believe it. Can you actually believe that God loves you? You know, this morning when I got here to church, I came in pretty early. And I forgot I had this. I've got this old little piece of paper here. And I'm going to be very careful to open it up because it's very old. It's very precious to me and I, I didn't know that it was in there. Do you remember when people used to do that? Used to write on paper? You remember that? It's a while ago. Jeff, you're looking confused. You? <laughs> it's been a while. I used to roll about the rolling 
Yeah, true. I've got a bit of slate out the back. This was written the 23rd of the 4th, 1992. It was written by my father. I just got saved. And 19 years of age, I came to a decision that, you know what, I, I just cannot avoid the fact that there's something else to life than what I see, taste, touch, feel and smell. There's more to life than partying. There's more to life than chasing highs. There's more to life than all of this stuff. And I was pretty good, by the way, at chasing highs. I was pretty good at it. I was pretty good at finding where those high points would be. I was pretty good at being the life of the party. I was pretty good at a lot of things that I, I, I probably shouldn't have been really good at, but I was. It wasn't that I couldn't find the top of the mountain. I found it plenty of times. I just couldn't stay there. And so at 19 years of age, I prayed a prayer. I said, God, I think you might be there. And if you are, then I'm asking you to take over because I really don't know what I'm doing with this life of mine. And what I'm doing doesn't seem to be working. So I asked God to come into my world and I threw a challenge out to him and I prayed a prayer and I said, Lord, I've got a couple of situations. I need you to, to do these things for me. And he did. In his grace and mercy, he met me in a couple of powerful ways. Not long after that, I'm sitting in a Chinese restaurant in Coffs Harbour and I'm eating something and I look across at a fish tank and there's a lobster in the fish tank and the lobster speaks to me. Lobster spoke to me. It wasn't like that. But I'm looking at this lobster and I heard this voice on the inside of me. And I don't hear a lot of voices on the inside of me. (laughs) Thank God. Some people hear too many voices on the inside of me. Anyway, I hear this voice and it says to me, I want you to go to this mission agency. You through the mission. And I don't care what your father thinks. And it wasn't said in a rude, arrogant way. But I didn't want to leave town. I didn't want to do anything because I really loved my dad and I didn't sort of want to be away from him. And God, what will happen to him if I'm not around? You know, no one else is there. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you've got to do what I've called you to do. So I went off and I joined this organisation and I went away. And uh, I ended up having to do a, a field trip overseas in Indonesia. And I'd never been pretty much out of New South Wales. which was a good thing. Um, now I'm indoctrinated with Queenslanders all around me. But um, I'm sitting in the kitchen one day and a letter comes in to my mailbox at YWAM. And I open it up and here's this letter from my dad. Now my dad had his own journey and wasn't a very affectionate guy, wasn't very liberal with his praise. Never. I only knew my dad loved me because he was there. It wasn't that he said it, it wasn't that he showed, or they were necessarily, you know, affectionate, but he was there. And that was a lot more than a lot of other people had done in my life. He wrote me this letter, and I just found it this morning. I thought, what a good day to read it. He said, this is the letter I should have written a long time ago. In case you never realised it, I am very proud of you. I've kept that letter ever since 1992 just for that first line it's amazing when you know that your father loves you you know what I thought this morning isn't it funny I got a letter from my dad but I got another letter from my dad too telling me how much he loves me showing me what he has done for me and what he will do for me and there's just something about accepting and knowing 
that you're loved that changes everything about life. It changes why you do what you do. It changes what you're looking for. You stop being a consumer just trying to get out of everybody and everything. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? To becoming a contributor, what can I give? What can I contribute? It changes everything. I walk around town down there and I know people, good people, good people, I'll finish up, good people that when I was at school were crazy about Jesus. They loved God. I remember being a, 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 as part of my sporting ability, making representative teams and, 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 and this one couple that would put us in a bus and they would drive us down to Sydney. And I remember 2 o'clock in the morning, there was me, my cousin, and the rest were all, all kids from uh, pretty much Cabbage Tree Island, all Indigenous kids and me and my cousin. I remember it because as soon as we got to Sydney, they'd go to Redfern and they'd all jump out of the bus at 2 o'clock in the morning and me and my cousin would just sit there as everyone came out and looked at us in the bus and we'd be panicking, freaking out. Two o'clock in the morning, all these guys crammed around the front seat of the bus while these people are singing, Jesus loves me, this sign know, to a bunch of 18-year-old kids. And when it was finished, they'd all be going, sing us another one, sing us another one. So they'd sing another gospel song and they'd just telling these kids how much they, God loves them. You know, I bump into those people around town now and they've forgotten that God loves them. They don't go to church, they don't pray, don't fellowship, drinking to numb the pain, sleeping around. And I look at that and I go, God, don't ever let me forget that whether I'm on top of a mountain, whether I'm in a valley, whether I'm locked up in fetters in a prison, just keep me believing, keep me being reminded, keep me hanging on to the fact that you love me because there's something about that truth that keeps me anchored to God. There's something about that truth that keeps me in a good place. I am already loved by God. I don't have to do anything extra to make him love me. I don't have to perform like a circus monkey. I don't have to find the secret key, you know, the seven steps to making God love you. I don't have to find any of that stuff because I've got it. And I, and, and I just wanted you to know, because this is kind of like our, you know, start of the year and our beginning of 2019. And I want you to know what John the Baptist never got to hear. And that is that of everybody born of woman. God thinks you're the best. God thinks more highly of you than you think he does. If you don't believe me, why don't you make a bit more of a commitment this year? Hunt around for his little I'm proud of yous, his little I love yous, his little I'm for yous, I'm not against yous. Amen? Father, thank you for today, Lord. And uh, God, thank you for uh, God the cross. Lord, it's the most amazing moment in the history of man. And God, the moment where the power of heaven so incredibly invaded earth. Lord, let us never forget it. The Father, while we were still sinners, when we were performing at our very worst, you loved us enough to die for us. When we had no interest in you, you were devising plans. How can I pour my love back out on these people? 
when we're off doing our own thing, you're behind the scenes going, how can I get their attention? How can I show them how much they mean to me? And we thank you for the death of Jesus on the cross. Lord, I pray for each person here, that Father, at the start of this year, that God, those of us that have struggled in years past with God, I guess, religious activities, doing things in order to try to prove to you that we're good or going down paths where we're trying to make you notice us, jumping up and down saying, God, but what about me? Here I am, here I am. Lord, I pray for those people here. God, I pray that 2019 would be a year where we would become comfortable in the fact that the divine creator of the universe loves little old me. We'd stop striving, we'd stop straining and we would just accept by faith the truth that you have made an intelligent and informed decision to call us your children. Thank you for that, Lord. And God, I pray for the next seven days as we go out from here, God, give every one of us in this room the opportunity to tell somebody about the goodness of God who does not yet know it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, there's more morning tea over there, so don't feel like you've got to run off. And this is our place now, so we don't have to pack up the chairs. Uh, Have a great week. Uh, you know what, if, if anything that you've heard today has struck a bit of a chord with you, uh, we'd love to have a chat with you, pray with you, but it doesn't have to be us. I'm sure you came here with somebody. Now, why don't you go and grab somebody and say, you know what, would you pray for me? Would you, would you, you'd you talk to me? Or, I heard this. Can you help me understand whatever? Why don't we uh, not just get up from here, walk away and say meeting's over? Okay, well, let's take the seeds of what God said and done this morning. Carry it into your week. Have a good one, eh?